Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Rambam, Hilchesh Klei Amigdash, the laws of the vessels, the furniture, the vessels of the holy temple, Bo, and those who serve in it. We learned in chapter 8 all about the categorization of the regular priestly or ordinary priestly garments, the high priestly garments. And now we get into some specifics of the high priestly garments, which had plus four over the ordinary priestly garments. And one of the more interesting, actually they're all interesting, the garment covering the forehead is called the tzitz. Kates and matzeh had seats. How does this forehead plate? How is it made? What's it all about? So he says, Asa, he makes tas a plate. Shalzob of gold. Rochav shteyetz boys, two finger breaths wide. Umakif, and it wraps. Me'ezen, la'ezen, from ear to ear. The case of Olav, and he engraves upon it through a special backwards engraving so that it protrudes, shtei shitim, two lines. Kodesh Lashem, sacred to Hashem. Actually, these words, Kodesh Lashem, come from the Chumash. But there is debate. There are various opinions. Some people say that Kodesh should be on the top line, sacred. Lashem should be on the next line. Others say they should be on the same line, Kodesh Lashem. And there's a third opinion which is the Rambam's opinion, Kodesh Milmata, the word Kodesh should be the, on the bottom, Lashem should be Milmaila on the top. So that if you read it, as the eye reads it, it says Lashem Kodesh, instead of Kodesh Lashem. says the Rambam, but if you wrote it in one line, don't worry, kosher, it's still kosher. In fact, says the Rambam, historically, sometimes they wrote it, in one line, Gemara Shabbos and Sukkah quotes Rabbi Eliezer ben Yossi saying, I saw it in Rome where it had been taken after the Holy Temple's destruction and the words Kodesh Lashem were written in one line. The Rebbe talks about this at great length that despite his testimony, the halach, despite Rabbi Eliezer's testimony, the halach is that the word should be written in two lines, meaning that our sages accepted this teaching from Moshe at Mount Sinai, from Hashem. And it's all about an oral tradition. And even according to those who accept Rabbi Eliezer's testimony, there had to have been another oral tradition according to that opinion. That is the head plate. See the hat on top, and here's the plate. Kodesh Lashem. There's a long, complex Rashi in Chumash where he explains how the head plate was worn on the forehead, the hat was worn on the head, and in between he wore tefillin. And how all that worked. Okay. Bays, the oasis, and the letters of the words Kodesh Lashem. Beltes Bafona would project outward. Ketzad meaning <coughs> he would engrave as he says, the letters meachora from behind the plate. And it was pressed into 
a form of beeswax until it protruded. And then a hole was punctured at each end of sealed chelas, and there was a blue thread from under it, which would enter from hole to hole. So that it's tied with the strand at the nape of the neck. Now, back to the other garment, which is the me'il, the over shirt of the Kohen Godel. Very interesting garment. Again, similar to the talit katan, to the tzitzis that we wear under the shirt today. But this one was, as my mama, blessed memory, would say, very fancy. This was very fancy. Move back, back, back. And you see the neck. Move up, show the neck. We're going to learn about the neck. Should never be torn. Then we're going to learn about the bells and pomegranate design of this meal. Hamiel, the meal was kulechelas, was entirely made up of a sky blue colored wool. The chutov kfulim its strands were made up, each one of twelve. Not six and not eight, but twelve. Ufiv and its neck, its mouth, orug, is woven bitchilas arigose, where the weave began. The Ainlay base yard, he did not have an opening for his arms like our tzitzit, the one we wear over our head. There's no arm opening. It just went around the neck, but there were no sleeves. The Hakereya fi hamiil, and the halacha says that anyone who tears the neck opening, which is called the mouth, Leike could be liable under certain circumstances for lashes. Shenavar, as it says, Lo yikoreya, it shall not be torn. Vuadin, and the same law applies, by the way, says the Rambam, Lechol, big day kuhuna, for all <coughs> the garments of the priest, Shakeiron, derech hashchos, leike, that if somebody intentionally tears them <coughs> with the intent to destroy them, he receives... Lashes. I'm going to tell my very corny joke. I just can't control myself. They tell a very corny joke that there was a non-Jewish man who was dying to get into a Jewish country club. But they took Jews only. I mean, the whole joke is corny. So he came to his good friend and he says, what should I do? I can't get in. He says, it's very simple. He says, when they ask you what your name is, don't tell them your name is McMurphy. Tell him your name is Schwartz. And when they ask you what you do, tell him you're in the Shmata business. And when they ask you what you produce, tell him you make palaces. And they'll let you in no problem. Anyway, he comes to the country club and say, what is your name? He says, Schwartz. What do you do? I'm in the Shmata business. What do you make? I make palaces. The guy says, wow, you make palaces. I've always been wondering. Tell me, how does this work? Tell me about the talus. Ah, it's fascinating. He says, don't ask me. I only make the sleeves. The corny joke is that the talus doesn't have sleeves. Okay, I told you I shouldn't tell the joke. You should have stopped me. I thought you were my friends. 
Dalid umevi tcheles vargoma betelashoni. At that point in time, he should bring in tcheles, the sky blue wool, vargoma, and the red wool betelashoni, and the scarlet wool. Kol min mishloston, every one of these three species, shozur, should be spun, shmeina of eight strands. Because it says, bishulav, that at the end, moshzar, it says the word moshzar, which means eight we learned. Nimtsu chuti ashulayim, so the strands of the hem, Arbova Eslim are 24. Because if you have 8 times 3, what's the 3? Tcheles Argomam Vitalashani. That's 3 times 8 is 24. And they're made, Kimin, like the shape of remaining pomegranates, Shalepostropium, which did not have an opening. And this design of these pomegranates made out of this colored wool, made up of 24 strands would be hung at the hem of this overgarment. Or maybe Shnai Veshivim Zugim, he then would bring 20, I'm sorry, 72 bells. Or Bohem Shnai Veshivim Megbeilim with 20, with 72 clappers. Hakel Zob, all made out of gold, the cup of the bell and the clapper. And he would hang half of the 72, 36 on the edge of the front. And 36, the edge of the other end. And this set of the cup and the clapper is called the bell. So each of the two sides of the mi'il was designed with pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, 36 bells on each side. That's the design. The gold woven into the ephod and the breastplate <coughs> mentioned in the Torah. What do we mean by we say gold? Over and over again, the Torah says, Zohov, Tcheles, Vargoman, Vitelash, Shoni, gold, blue, red, scarlet. What's gold? This is how it's made. Lekeyach, he takes Chut Echad Zohov, one strand of gold, which means obviously the gold is beaten very fine into, cut into strands. He places it with six threads of light blue wool. And he then twists them all together. And he takes a strand of gold with six red. A strand of gold with six scarlet. Shisha Shalpishtan and one strand with six of flax. Tchelas v'agomon v'telashoni v'sheish. Nimtsu arbo achutezov. You have four gold. V'nimtsu kol achutim shmei nevestim. Totaling 28. Shenemar v'ayirako as pachy azov. He took the threads of gold. 
begamer etc lasses to make besechatelas mutechagomer tehatashonu betechashesh so if you have four materials and each of these materials is made up of six strands plus one gold for each six four times seven six plus one is seven four times seven equals 28 Malamadish teaches us shachut hazov kofel b'seichem that there is this gold strand folded up within each of them. Next, vov ketzad ma'aseachoshen. How does the breastplate work? How is it made? Eidek beget. He takes a garment ma'asecheshev made by a work of craft. Also made of a combination of materials, minazov from gold, batchelas and the light blue wool, vargomen and the red wool, betelashoni and the scarlet, vashesh and the linen, alshmein avestim chutn of twenty-eight strands. Can they should be honored as we explain how wide and how long is this breastplate? Okay, amma. Its length is one amma, eighteen inches. Berach zeres, and its width is a zeres, a half a cubit. The kefli v'shnayim, and when he folds it in half, it's a zeres by zeres. Nimtza zeres al zeres meruba. And here I'm going to once again try and zoom in. This is the way it is before it's folded. And now let's zoom in on the top. This is the way it is after it's folded. Half a cubit by half a cubit. Before it's folded, a cubit by half a cubit. And he insets in it, affixes within it, four rows of stones. The names of the stones are outlined in the Torah. Call Eben Mehem, every stone Meruba is squared or Meshuka and is indented by bias shows off in a housing of gold. Which surrounds it beneath it and from all four directions. So this is a stone in a setting. This is called a setting. Now, what do the stones have engraved in it? I'm glad you asked. On the fateach, he engraves aloavonim on the stones. Shemes hashvotim, the names of the tribes. Kitel desam, by the order of their birth. Benimtza kesev al ha'edem. So the first stone is odem. As the Torah says, odem pitada uboreka. So the first is odem. Reuven, Reuven is the first. V'al yoshpe, and on the last, binyomin. He's the youngest. The case of Reuven, and he writes to begin with above Reuven. Some say in small letters, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov on the ruby itself. There are very different opinions as to how this worked. When we learned Chumash, we learned about spreading it, but this is the Rambam's opinion. The case of Lamatam Bibinyamin. And beneath Binyamin, he ends with the words, Shifte Yud K, the tribes of God. In that way, we also have all the letters of the alphabet on this breastplate. 
The four corners of this breastplate have four rings of gold. He places within the two rings above, with which the breastplate is hanging on the apron, on the apron, two golden cords. They are called chains, my golden chains. The nation bestayed taboy shamat, and he places them in the two lower rings, shen keneget adadim, which are near the breast of the high priest, shtepsili trailers, two cords of sky blue wool to hold it tight. So that's the choshen. Cast the aphod. What's the aphod apron? Again, it has a frontal view and a rear view. Rochbe, it's width. Kereb gabe shalodim is like the width of a person's back. Mikasiv lekasiv, shoulder to shoulder. The arke, its length, mikeneged atzile hayadayim, is from one's elbows, meachedah behind them, adalaglayim till the feet. The yeshle kemeshte yodis yetsis mimenu baorig lekan lekan. It has two bands extending from either side. Shachegrin eisei bohem with which they are fastened. And they're called the fastening part or the belt of the ephod. The entire ephod is multicolored or woven with the following threads. Gold, light blue, red, scarlet, linen, Alshmein of Esim Chutin, made up of 28 strands. Kemase Achashen, like the Choshen. Betefer Olav, on top of it, you edge, take safest two shoulder bands. Kedeshio Kol Kisves Hakein, Al Kisves Hakein, in order that this should be able to extend onto the shoulders of the Kohen. So, let me see if we can zoom in here to show some stuff. We're talking about the apron which has a front view, a back view, and a band, a sash, which ties it. Let's look. start with the tie first. This is called the cheshev ho'efo, the tie. And you see here, you have the multicolored material. And then as you go up, you have the belt, and then you have the shoulder pieces with the precious stone, which we're going to learn about, which sits on the shoulder. Engraving the names of all the tribes. We, didn't, we haven't learned that yet. Now we have the front view. The front view has the, a, the apron wrapping around but open. And here is the breastplate. And then we have the rear view, the back view. Looks like a fireman wearing red suspenders. You know why firemen wear red suspenders? To keep their pants up. And here we have the shoulder and the breastplate. Show the whole thing. Move back. Here's the shoulder and the breastplate. Okay, so we have a little bit of an idea of what we're talking about. And all of this is from the book dealing with the tabernacle. This is, these are not the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash, but we're using this because it's, uh, as they say, close enough for government work.
and he affixes to every shoulder Evan a stone. Shoham of Onyx, or he says here, Sardonyx. Shemeruba square, Meshuga set, Bevayas Shazov in a housing of gold. Omepateach, and he engraves, I'll on the two stones. Shmeis Hashvatim, the names of the tribes. Shisha al Ebenzu, six names of tribes on one stone. The Shisha al Ebenzu, and six names of tribes on the other stone. Ketel Daisam, as it says in the Chumash, and Aaron should carry the, na- the Jewish people upon his shoulders. To, as a memorial to Hashem, I'm just going to have a little water. Now the only name written somewhat different than we are accustomed to is the name Yosef. Because of shame, he takes and writes the name Yosef, Yehosef with above. One of the explanations given is that way Yosef's name starts with Hashem's name, Yud and Hey and Vav. This is also mentioned in the Tehillim with this spelling. Edus be Yehosef Som. But by adding this extra hey, we equalize each stone, now having 25 letters each. And according to the Rambam, this is how it was written. You go across in order of birth. When you go down, it skips. When you go across, it's order of birth. Ruvain, and now I'm going across Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisach Hazvun, Naphtali, Don, God, Asher, Yehosef, and Binyamin. And Ruvain is Alksef, Ayyamonis, on his right shoulder. Shimon is Alksef, Ayyamonis, on the left shoulder. And he puts on every shoulder. Two rings, Achas Milmaila, one above, Bereish HaKosef, at the top of the shoulder. The other one is below. Above the belt, he places the two chains of gold. Those are called the chains. Yud, would you believe it if I told you that this is one of the shortest chapters in the Rambam? It only has 11 paragraphs. Following that, he places the ends of the cords of the breastplate in the upper rings that are on the shoulders of the aphod. And he takes the blue, the two blue strands, at the edge of the choshen, the breastplate, and the two rings, from above, of the sash of the aphod. And he brings down a sash to change, and the rings, Kisves the aphid of the shoulder pieces of the aphid, Atabois Achashin Halyena, until the rings of the Choshen. He's showing how everything is fastened to everything else. By the way, when I taught this in Chumash, and this is all on the Chumash website, the portion of this section dealing with the garments, Titzabe, it's there in great detail, and you can have. Greater detail if you want some more details. In order that they should cleave to one another. And one of the mitzvahs is that the breastplate should not flap 
around on the apron. It shouldn't go plop, plop, plop. Therefore, it's bound. Anybody who flaps the choshen from the apron and undoes this fusion that a kilkel intentionally to destroy, Leica could be liable under certain circumstances to receive lashes. Yud Aleph, the closing paragraph of today's of, of this chapter, of chapter 9. Nimtso, so therefore, in conclusion, we have when he wears the apron together with its breastplate. The breastplate should be centered upon his heart. And the apron-like garment should be behind it. And the sash of the apron, that multicolored sash, kosher should be bound, alibay upon his heart, tachas hacheshen, under the cheshen, ushteks chisvei so eifid, and the two shoulder pieces of the eifid, ushteks eifid, should be on his, on his two shoulders, ushteks eifid, ushteks the two golden chains, yod, they should descend, meakseifid, from his shoulders, mikan or mikan, from each side, meakseifid, so eifid, or meakseifid, so eifid, from the shoulder pieces of the eifid, ad, until, taboys, the rings of the cheshen, and two strands of tcheles, of blue, are tied below his elbows. From the two lower rings, to the two lower wings of the apron, which are above the cheshev. End of chapter 9. Rambam. Hilchais Klei Hamigdosh Vihaovdimbo The laws of the vessels, the implements of the holy temple, and the laws pertaining to those who work in the holy temple. Padik Asidi chapter ten, the last of a series of ten chapters. We learned earlier about the garments of the regular priest. They are four. The pants, the shirt, the belt, and the hat. We learned earlier about the garments of the high priest. They are the four I just mentioned, plus another four, which we'll talk about. And now he says, Ketzad seder levishes habgodim. In what order do they don, do they put on these garments? Can they put the garments on in any order they want to, or is there a specific ritual? I'm glad he asked. The answer is there's a specific ritual. Levesh hamichnosayim tchila, the garment always put on first, are the pants, or as he refers to it, the leggings. So that's always garment number one. And he ties them above his navel, over his loins. So that's the function of the pants. Garment number two, following that, he puts on what he refers to here as the tunic, 
And we learned that in great detail it was a checkered garment. V'yachakach, following that, number three, Cheger, he binds himself with Esoavnet, with the sash, or the belt, which is a long belt which he winds around him. Keneged Atzile Yodov, at the level, at the height of his elbows, it should not be too high and should not be too low. Like you ask an old bubby when she's giving you a recipe. So how much salt do you put in? She says, not too much and not too little. Exactly the right amount. So that's how you put on the sash. Not too low and not too high. O makifei karach al korach ad vacation. And he folds it round and around until it ends. And then he ties it. And I'm going to, thank you, show you a photograph of the four garments of the regular Kohen. Can you zoom in, please? Wake up. Our producer is sleeping. Now, let's see all four. Okay, I guess we can do all four. At the top, you have the hat, which we're going to learn about next, the shirt, the pants, and the belt. Vialho Avnate regarding the hat I'm sorry, regarding the sash, the belt, Mefedash Bikabolo, it is specifically laid out in the traditions of the written law and the prophets, referring to a verse in Ezekiel Vileyachkeru Bayoza, they shall not gird themselves Bayoza, meaning Bimokim Shemazim, he interprets this to mean the belt should not go on in a place of perspiration, which means the belt should not be by the underarms, because that's where people perspire, and the belt should not be by the loins, because that's where people perspire. But it should be rather in the center. This is the tradition that Yonasan, the son of Uziel, who was a renowned student of the sage Hillel, who translated the Tanakh into Aramaic, he received the tradition from the prophets and Megillah, Tractate Megillah, ascribes this translation to Chagai, Scharia, and Malachi, who accompanied the Jews back from Babylonian exile to Jerusalem. And he translated the phrase, Vitirgam al Livvehain Yesrun, they will gird themselves over the heart, that the area should be the heart area. That's where the belt goes. Yachakach, and finally after that, Seinaf, he should arrange, Vimitznef is the hat, Kimin Kevet should look like a hat, but it, what it really is is something that winds round and around. So that becomes the hat. Gimel, that's the regular Kohen, who has four garments. And we learn the order of putting on the four garments and the location of the four garments. Now, Kohen Godel, the high priest, after he puts on garment number three, 
which is his belt or sash, he then goes to his garment called the me'il. The me'il is the beautiful sky blue over garment, like a shirt. Want to find it for me? So that's the me'il. We learned earlier it has the bells and the pomegranates hanging from it. Again, this is the me'il. We talked about this earlier. It, it looks like a talit katan, like the tzitzit we wear under the shirt. That's the way it slips on. And it has the bells and the pomegranate designs hanging from the bottom. So that's what he puts on after garment number three. The al hamil on top of the meal he puts on the apron-like garment, the achoshen and the breastplate. The choger, and he binds with the belt of the ephod, al hamil over the meal, mitachas achoshen, under the Choshen. So that's the order of the way the Kohen Godel puts on his clothing. And again, we've shown this over and over again, but just once again, here's the Kohen Godel. If you want to zoom in, please. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. You're in the union, huh? So here we see the aphod is bound. And we see the breastplate, that's the front view. Okay. And then, for the high priest, Then the high priest winds his headgear on, not like a hat, like the regular Kohanim, even though he uses the same material, but more like a turban. Now... There's one more garment we haven't dealt with yet. There is the headplate which says Kodesh Lashem or Lashem Kodesh. This plate which sits on the forehead of the high priest, he binds that above the Mitznepes. And there's a whole long Rashi which explains how one could be above the other and so on. But the bottom line is, There had to be some hair visible between the hat and the headplate. Why do we need the hair? Or the place of the hair? I guess it could be bold too, but the hair place. Because he also had to put on tefillin. Between the tzitz, between the headplate and the turban, the Kohen God will put on tefillin. So now... The Rambam has taken us step by step and given us a journey of ritual as to exactly how the regular Kohen and the Kohen Godot put on their garments. Now he says, Dalid mitzvah asay, it is a positive commandment, la says begodimelu, to create these garments, vliyas hakayin and that the Kohen should serve in these garments. This is not just something we do, but this is one of the commandments. Shenamar, as it says, vliyasisa big dekelish, you shall make holy garments. Vliyasbon of takriv and Aaron's sons, you shall bring close. Vliyobashtem kutones, and cause them to put on the tunics. So that the Kohen Godol and the Kohanim must wear the priestly garments. This is muy importante, very important. 
What if a high priest served in the holy temple with less than the eight special garments? Four plus four. A Kayan headed or an ordinary Kayan Shishimish who served with less than these four garments, who Hanikra, this Kohen Godel or regular Kohen, is called in, ter- in Jewish terminology, lacking garments. He doesn't have his full regalia. Consequently, his service, whatever he performed, is unfit. It's no good. Useless. Because he didn't wear his garments. Furthermore, he is liable for the death penalty by the hands of God, so to speak. Just as the laws of a non-Kohen who served. A non-Kohen who served takes his life into his own hands. We're going to learn the details. Here, this Kohen served without proper garments. He's missing a garment or more. Takes his life into his own hands. Shenemar, as it says, you shall bind them with a sash, and then and only then will they be called Kohanim. When their garments are upon them, their priesthood is upon them. But if their garments are not upon them, their priesthood is not upon them. They are like aliens. You know what an alien is? It's the guy from Mars. With a green yarmulke. V'nemar it says, V'hazor And the alien who approaches will die. So here we have a situation where anyone who is a non-Kohen is called an alien because he's a stranger to the work of Kohuna and he takes his life into his own hands. Now, does that mean that if I need all four garments, the Kohen could think, let me put on five just in case. Can never be too careful. So here the Rambam spells out a, an important central principle in Torah. Just as one who is lacking the prescribed amount of garments is liable to a heavenly death penalty and his service is ruled unfit. If somebody has too many garments... He figures he's getting a chill, put on a scarf. Or he even put on two shirts, because it gets chilly in the base of Mignosh. They run the air conditioning too low. He puts on two belts. What if a regular, ordinary Cohen decides he's putting on the high priestly garments? And he served. No. You know what? Why not? This is a profaning, he has profaned the service of God, and he's liable for death penalty by God, by, in the hands of heaven. That's the euphemism here, it's the hands of heaven. This is a bad uh, partnership here. It says in the garments of Kahuna, it says with regard to the priestly garments, al this is an interesting law. The verse says he has to place the garments on his flesh and don them. Which means, you know, similar to the laws of mikvah. 
when somebody immerses in a mikveh, which is halachically required, they can't have anything separating their body from the mikveh water. If they do, it's called chatzitza, a separation. The Kohen has to have the garments on his body, and he can't have anything separating between his body and his garments. This is very, very meticulously observed. There should be nothing separating. Nothing should be intervening between his flesh and the garments. What does that mean? It means he can't wear an undershirt. No. It means a lot more than that. Even if there's one thread on his body separating between him and his priestly shirt. Or... There's a little piece of uh, dirt, a little piece of uh, soil. Aikina mesa, even if there's a louse, even a dead louse. If it was between his flesh and the priestly garment, this is called a separation. Consequently, his service is declared unfit because he had a strand of hair. Because he had a thin piece of uh, material, because he had some earth, because he had a louse. The fecal, therefore, for this reason, although we say it's okay for the Kohen to wear head tefillin, he cannot wear arm tefillin. Because the arm tefillin, the tefillin on his arm, separates between him and his shirt. But the head film does not separate because there's a space for it. Therefore, although it's not mandatory for the ordinary Kohen to wear head film, he may put on the head film. But he may never put on the armed film. Because the armed film will create a separation between the flesh of his arm and the shirt. This reminds me of the story that I've told many times. Shortly after 9-11, I traveled for a wedding and went through the, uh, the airport in Dallas. And we had to get off the plane and then clear security and get back on the plane for the second leg of our flight. And again, it was, all, all the Homeland Security laws were new, and uh, everybody was very nervous. And as I was standing online in Dallas, and I see these big Homeland Security guys, probably 6'4", not the kind of guy you want to mess with. And uh, I say to him, you want me to take off my hat and put it in the tray? What should I do with my hat? Should I wear my hat? And he looks at me, and I thought he was going to kill me. And he says to me, Sir, this is Texas. In Texas, no one gets in between a man and his hat. Wear the hat. So you can't get between a man and his shirt, a man and his hat. I guess the guy, the Homeland Security guy from Dallas, took this from this halacha in Rambam. Zion. 
One has to be meticulously careful. Therefore, that when one dons his garments, the Kohen, that there isn't even any dust between his garment and his flesh. Not even a louse. A louse is a singular to lice. May we not know from this. Even though it's a living louse. How, how bad could it be? Bad. Furthermore, we should be cautious that not even an air pocket develop in between the flesh and the garment because that air pocket could be also considered a separation. If the air pocket will keep that part of the garment distant from the flesh. Talk about, talk about uh, particular, huh? Talk about picky picky. Furthermore, the Kohen should not even place his hand in his bosom under his shirt, because that's a separation. The hand becomes a separation. Nor should a Hair. He should not remove a hair from the garment. There shouldn't even be a loose strand. However, if there was one of the above list, it does not make the whole service unfit because there's no end to this. But one should be careful. So this shows us how careful we have to be. Ches. What if a Kohen wrapped a cloth upon his flesh in a place untouched by the priestly garments? For example, there's no priestly garment on the hand. He put on a band-aid on his finger or on his toe or on his ankle. There's no garments on the ankle or on the fingers. If this application is three finger breaths by three finger breaths or more, so this is called a separation. Give me the homish there. came, but less than this, it's not called a separation. If it was a small belt, considered a garment on its own. It makes it unfit. It could be less than three finger breaths by three finger breaths. But being that it's an individual garment, it is considered already a separation. A finger breadth is 0.79 inches. About two and a half inches would be three finger breaths. Okay. Now, nine, what if the coin got what we used to call when I was a kid, a boo-boo. Did you ever get boo-boos? A boo-boo on his finger. He may tie a reed on it or a cloth. A beggar chain, as long as it doesn't have three finger breaths by three finger breaths, and he can serve. But if his intention was to bring blood out, also it's forbidden. Provided that the reed or the cloth does not intervene and separate between his flesh 
and a sacred utensil at the time of service, because he needs to hold the utensil with his hand, not with the shmata, not with the bandage. Yud, now we know that in the first Beis Hamikdash, there was the breastplate. The breastplate was miraculous. The breastplate had the name of God in it, in the fold. And if the Jewish people needed to know the answer to a question, should we go to war, should we not go to war, should we do this, should we not do this, they would ask the Kohen Godel, and he would ask on their behalf, and the letters in the breastplate would, would light up in a certain order to give them the answer, yes, no, maybe so, and so on. And that is why it's called the Urim Vitumim. It gave light and it gave guidance and it gave instruction to the Jewish people. That functioned in the times of the first Beis Hamikdash. In the second Beis Hamikdash, many things were not the same, including this breastplate. It was there, but it didn't work. Like I've often shared when I took a group of people to Crown Heights one winter day, and it was freezing. And the sun was shining. And it must have been, I don't know, 20 degrees. And somebody said, how come it's so cold here? Look, the sun is shining. I said, let's ask one of the, one of the natives. So I, passed, I had a guy pass by. I said, tell me, why is it so cold here? The sun is shining. He says, here in Crown Heights, we got the same sun you do. But here it don't work. <laughs> they have the same breastplate in the second base on Migdash. What number is that, Danny? 72. But it doesn't work. And that's what he says in 10. In the second holy temple, they made a breastplate called the Urim Betumim. Why? Because otherwise it wouldn't be a kosher high priest because he'd be missing one of the garments. In order to complete the eight garments. But they didn't ask anybody anything. There were no questions asked of Hashem in the second base on Migdash through this Urim Betumim because it didn't work. Why didn't they ask? Because there was no divine spirit. It was actually a piece of parchment with Hashem's name in it that was in the fold that actually wasn't even in there, according to most commentaries during the second base of English. Of any Kohen that does not speak with divine inspiration, and the divine presence does not dwell upon him, as many Kohanim during the time of the second base on English were more like political appointees who bought the office. And you can't ask them. But during the time that they did ask, 11, the Kates of Shalem, how did the asking happen? Don't ask. made and the Kohen stood. And he actually faced the ark. The Ashayel and the one who was asking, Me'achorov, who would ask? The king, the general, uh, Big Macher, would stand behind him. Ponov la'achreakein, his face was behind the coin, to the back of the coin. And the asker would say, Should I invest in this stock or not? No, I'm just kidding. Should I go up to war? Like a general. Should I go to, up to war or not? He was not screaming. He was not speaking full throttle. He spoke softly. But he also wasn't thinking. He verbalized the words. 
quietly. With a low voice. Like somebody was praying privately. So he was whispering. And immediately, divine inspiration, a divine spirit, would enclose this high priest. And he would gaze at his breastplate. And he would see within it a vision of prophecy where the word alei, ascend, go up, would light up. An ayin, a lambid, and a hay would pop up and would be illuminated. So that means go, go to war. A leitala, or don't go to war. There's actually a fantastic story where Chana, the mother of the prophet Shmuel, was barren, she had no children. We're talking about the story of the birth, of the miraculous birth of Shmuel. She came to the tabernacle. The high priest was the holy Eli. Eli was the Kohen Godel. And it says that she stood at the wall and she prayed. Her lips were moving, but no sound was audible. And it said, He thought she was a drunk. Because that's what drunks do. They talk to themselves. How did Ailey decide she was a drunk? Did he give her an alcohol test? Was he running a drug program? How did Ailey know she was a drunk? So there's an interesting interpretation. It says that Ailey asked the Urim Betumim. He asked of his breastplate. He says, is, is this lady together or not? So three letters lit, lit up. A shin, and a chof, and a resh. Shikor. So he said, ah, she's a drunk. The problem was he misread it. It should have been read. Chof, shin, resh, which is kosher. She's a good person. So he mixed up kosher and shikor. And closed down his whole drug program. The high priest could not pose two questions at the same time. And if he did, the breastplate only responded to the first question. So for example, well, I'm not even going to go there. You can't use the breastplate to ask Questions for an individual. Should I buy this piece of property? Should I not buy the real estate going up or down? Ella, this was reserved. Or for a king. Like here we had Rodney. Oh, grow up. Or the court. The court comes and has to ask a question. Or someone who is asking on behalf of a community need. Before Elozer the high priest, he should stand. Who? He is the king. And all the Jewish people. This is the chief chaplain of the armed forces. We learned that there was a special Kohen appointed. He was the chief chaplain of the armed forces to inspire the soldiers. Or 
a communal matter, a pressing communal matter. I was told when I was instructed to give these classes, I should never say anything that would date the class, which is why I started saying something and then I changed my mind. So I'm going to say it now without dating. For example, if somebody comes to the Kohen Godel and he says, when is this highway construction project going to be finished? <laughs> the entire community, this is the great court. Those are the communal needs. I didn't say anything that dated us, right? Now that Rambam said is in his closing statement, we do find from time to time, in the words of the prophet, an example of that is in Samuel 22:18, that the Kohanim would wear an ephod, an apron of linen. But we don't find that. We find that the Kohen wore a shirt and a pair of pants and a belt and a hat. It's not describing a Kohen Godel for sure. Because the Kohen Godel, the high priest, doesn't wear linen. He wears a very fancy ephod made up of multicolor. Even the Levites we read wore it. Shmuel, the Novi, was a Levite. Nar, a young man, wearing a linen apron. This apron has nothing to do with the subject matter here. The young prophets would wear it. And anybody who was suitable that the Divine Presence should dwell upon him. To inform us that this young man reached spiritually the level of a high priest. Where he speaks by the instruction of this apron or breastplate with divine inspiration, but this is not the garment describing the garment of a priest or a high priest. We have concluded the ten chapters of Klei Hamigdash, of the vessels of the Beis Hamigdash, Viha Ovdimbo, and those who serve in it. And the Rambam concludes and says, Brich Rachamona de Blessed be the merciful one, Hashem, who grants assistance and Baruch Hashem and the next. Group of chapters will be Hilchais, Bias, Hamigdash, the laws of entry into the Holy Temple, what is and what isn't. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, we begin a new section within the book of Avodah, within the book of service of the Beis Hamigdash. This is an entire book dedicated to what happened and what will happen in the Beit Hamigdash. It will happen when Mashiach comes. Very soon, Hilchais, the laws, Biat, or Bias Hamigdash, of what happens as somebody comes into the Holy Temple, what the requirements are, what the restrictions are, and so on and so forth. Yesh Bechlolon, the Rambam introduces the list of mitzvahs that this section covers, as he does with every section. In general, he says, in Hilchais, Bias Hamigdash, there are Hamesh Esrei Mitzvahs. This covers 15 different commandments. And here the Rambam enumerates these 15 different commandments. Shtei Mitzvahs Ase, two positive commandments. Ushleish Esrei Mitzvahs Leisase, 13 negative commandments. And these are the details as the Rambam enumerates the subject matter of the commandments. Aleph 1. 
A Kohen who is drunk may not enter into the Beis HaMikdash. Intoxication and kehuna and priesthood do not go together. Beis. Similarly speaking, a Kohen with long hair may not enter into the Beis HaMikdash. This was probably written before the 60s. Gimel. A Kohen whose garments are torn should not enter into the Beis HaMikdash. A Kohen may not enter into the sanctuary at any time, only at prescribed times. Then in the midst of service, a Kohen may not walk out of the Holy Temple. If somebody is defiled or impure, he has to be sent forth out of the base of Migdash. Zion Shalay Yikonis Migdash. Someone who is impure should not enter into the base of Migdash. Ches Shalay Yikonis Tomei Laharabaya. Someone who is impure should not even enter the area of the Temple Mount. Tes Shalay Yishamish Tomei. The Kohen should not serve as a Kohen in a state of defilement or impurity. Yud. He should not even serve after he immersed in the mikvah before the sun sets, but he should wait until the sun sets as is required. The coin before he serves must sanctify or wash his hands and feet. That a blemished coin should not enter into the sanctuary or to the altar area which is outside the sanctuary. Yud Gimel, a Kohen who is blemished, should not serve in the position of Kohen, in the Holy Temple. Yud Dalit, even if he has a passing blemish, which will heal soon. Tesvav, Shalayabed Zor, a alien, which means someone who is not a male Kohen, Prescribed for this work should not serve in the position of the Kohen, Obeyer Mitzvah Elu, and the explanation of all of these commandments be proclamelo in these upcoming chapters. Peter Krishan chapter one Aleph Halacha one Kol Kayin Akosher Laveda any Kohen who is fit for service Imshosa Yayin if he drank wine. Commentaries point out their wine used to be very strong wine. He may not enter the altar area, certainly not. In the innermore areas, in the inside, past the altar area where we get to the Hechel, where we get to the Beis Hamikdash itself. And if he entered, the Yavad and he served, his service is unfit. Everything he does is not kosher. Furthermore, v'chay of misa b'dei shamayim, and he's culpable for heavenly death penalty. Shenemar, as the verse says, v'lei samusa, they shall not die. What is the definition of intoxicated? How much does he have to drink? You have to study this when you take in California a DMV test to see what it means intoxicated. So in the Beis Hamikdash they had their laws as well. V'hu, that is sheshosa. If he drank revius yayin, a revius of wine, 
which is a liquid measure, if you can bring me that chumash, please, a revius of wine, bebas achas, at once, miyayin sha'obru olav arboyim yayim, wine aged at least 40 days, which means not grape juice, because grape juice is not intoxicating. If he drank less than a revius of wine, a shosa revius, or he drank a revius, but it took a lot of time, a or. Mizoga, a revius is 2.91 ounces. 2.9, not, not a lot. But if he drank less than a revius, or. He drank it slowly. A he cut it with water. I'll say again, their wine used to be very strong, that even three ounces of wine could intoxicate someone. Or he drank wine out of the vat before 40 days passed. In our vernacular, he drank grape juice, even a whole bottle. Potter is exempt, and he doesn't profane his service. If he drank more than the 2.91 ounces of wine, even though it was mixed, and he waited, he's culpable for heavenly death penalty because he drank more than a Revius. And this disqualifies any service which he did, which means that the Kohen cannot drink and serve. What if he was intoxicated, but it wasn't wine? It was other intoxicating liquids in our world. It was vodka, scotch, tequila, beer. He also may not enter into the Beis HaMikdash. The verse says, Yayin v'sheichor, I'll taste wine, and sheichor. Sheichor could be translated as strong drink, beer, intoxicating beverages. And if he entered, the Ovad and he served, and he's intoxicated, even from other drinks other than wine, but they are intoxicating they are fermented you know you can make whiskey you can make an alcoholic drink from a lot of stuff even from milk you can make alcohol from milk or from pigs here we have Slivovitz plum brandy I mean you could, you could do anything we're not uh, drinking this. We're just, this is for show and tell. This person is susceptible to receive lashes under certain conditions. But his service is not disqualified because because the death penalty from heaven can only apply with wine, not other beverages. And the desecration of the service in the Holy Temple is only wine intoxication, not other drinks. 
Gimel, Hashem, Shaosa, the Kaili, Kanaslam, Bigdish, Mnashikrus, just as it's forbidden for a Kohen to enter into the Holy Temple in a state of intoxication. Kach, an outgrowth of this law is that also the Chalodim, it is forbidden for any man, Kohen or not, Ben Kohen, Ben Yisrael, Lahedes, to be one who decides halacha, rabbinic halachic decision, as we say in the Yiddish vernacular, to paskin in ashayla, to render a halachic decision, kishu shosi, when he's in a state of inebriation. Afila ochal tmorim, furthermore, and I believe, depending upon which commentaries you read, the meaning here is, is that even if he ate too many dates, and he became high on the sugar. That's the Twinkie defense. A shosachala, he drank too much, wine, too much milk, and the milk made him groggy and sleeping, or intoxicated. And he's a little bit not 100%. He should also not engage in halachic deciding, in instruction of law. Shenemar. And that portion it talks about and to give rulings to the children of Israel. What if he gave a ruling with something that is clearly specified in the Torah until even the Sadducees would know it because it's obvious and apparent even in the written law, it's permissible. Again, for example, Shaheda, what if he ruled Shaheretz Tommy that a Sheretz, one of the eight forbidden rodents, crawling animals mentioned in Leviticus. He said a Sheretz is impure. Every child knows that. And he said a frog is not one of those impure rodents. Toy, from that perspective, is pure. And blood is forbidden. These are obvious halachic decisions. Still, he should not. Do this, but it's okay. Dalid, we're talking about issuing halachic decisions. However, umutir, it is permissible, la shikar, for someone intoxicated, lelame Torah, to teach Torah. Because he's not acting as a judge, rendering halachic decisions. He's teaching. Ba'afilo halachis, even if he's teaching law, but he's not in a court setting. Or medrashis, or he's teaching medrashik agada, the stories of Torah. The who as long as he's not issuing halachic decision. However, if he was a famous, established halachic decisor, he can't even teach. because anything he teaches will be taken as a halachic decision. Hey, five What if he only drank the measurement of Rebiyas? 2.9 ounces, and there was some water in it, or after he drank it, he had a nap, or he walked a kilometer, the wine already passed out of his system, and he may serve in his position as Kohen. But if he drank more than this, I feel a mozig, even if it was wine mixed with water. A little sleep. In that case, a little sleep or a little walking could even intensify his intoxication. So that's not the answer. The answer is not sleeping a little bit or walking a little bit to be drank a lot. 
more than an abuse. He has to wait, wait it out enough time, depending upon his level of intoxication, until there is not even a remnant of his intoxication left, and he's totally been cleared. So this is how serious it is for a Kohen to drink during service. And therefore, as an outgrowth of this halacha, the Anshe Mishmar, the people of the watch of that day who are to serve, can they drink wine at night? There is no service at night. They may drink at night, but not in the days of their week of service. Even other heads of clans. We learned that the Mishmar, the watch, is divided into six groups. One group is for Sunday, the other is for Monday, and so on and so forth. So can the Monday group drink on Wednesday? Why not? The answer is, no, they can't. Maybe there's going to be so much traffic, so many sacrifices flowing into the Holy Temple that they're going to need the Monday people on Wednesday or Thursday. They're going to need other people from the watch. Because of the demand, life is supply and demand. So therefore, they're not even allowed to drink because it's their week and they may be called into emergency duty. But the head, the peep, the members of the clan of that day, may not drink both by day and by night. Perhaps they'll drink at night. Meaning the night before. His, his day is Monday. He'll drink Sunday night. Wake up in the morning with an overhang. I mean a hangover. And his wine didn't leave him yet. Others say that this applies to the night after. Because once the last offering was brought, the Kohanim had to offer all of the limbs and parts of the animals on the altar. Sometimes there was a traffic jam on the altar. They couldn't get the limbs on on time. Sometimes it would take hours and hours. Sometimes they're going to need to call in for more help because of a bottleneck like we have here in California. We have the El Toro Y. They had on the altar coming up the ramp, the El Toro Y. So sometimes the coin would be called out of dinner. Therefore, it's best not to drink the night after. That's another interpretation that Ambam takes this to mean the night before. Zayin, kol kain shiadei mezim mishmar he any kain who knows mezim mishmar who which watch he's from or mezim beis of who which clan he's from he knows his week is the week of May first to the eighth he knows that he works on Monday and the beis hamikdash is no longer here but maybe any minute it will be. And he knows that this is the day of his family. Can he drink today when there's no Beis HaMikdash? He may not drink wine that whole day. If he knew which watch he was from, he doesn't know which family, which clan. He can't drink the whole week. He can't drink the whole week. In which his watch serves, if he doesn't know his watch or his clan, 
which means he doesn't know his week or his day. Hadinaisin, the law suggests, that he would not be permitted to drink wine ever. Because maybe Mashiach will come, the Beis Hamikdash will be rebuilt, and he'll be called today. But the negative is the positive. The difficulty is the solution. He may drink. Because he can't work until it's established which watch he's from and which family. And by that time, the day will be over. A grows long hair. may not enter into the altar area or... Further in Vimnichnas, and we did enter Vyavar and he served Chayav Misavide Shemayim. He's culpable for heavenly death penalty. Kishikir Shaaba, just as someone who is intoxicated. We learned earlier, just as a Kohen cannot serve under a state of intoxication, he may not serve with long hair. Vyayin Layishtu Kokayin. Shenemar, as the verse says, Vyayin Layishtu Kokayin, no Kohen shall drink wine. This is a verse from Ezekiel. Nor shall they shave their heads, nor allow their hair to grow long. Just as the Kohen who drinks wine is culpable for heavenly death penalty. This is what happened to Nadav and Avio, Aaron's sons. Rashi says the opinion, Shisuya Yayin. They entered in a state of intoxication. Afso also Megadli Pera. Those who grow long hair, but Misa could be culpable for the death penalty. However, when the Kohen serves with long hair, he doesn't defile that service. Even though he could be culpable under certain circumstances for the death penalty. Just as a Kohen is not admonished about wine unless he enters into the Beis So also they can't grow long hair unless they, when they come into the Beis HaMikdash. When does this apply that the Kohen has to have short hair? When he enters the Beis HaMikdash, with a regular Kohen who not during service, he may grow longer hair. But the high priest, also the God is always forbidden to grow long hair. The Kray Begodov always forbidden to rent his garments, to tear his garments, Lolam. Because the high priest is always in the base of Migdash. That's why it says regarding the high priest, his hair shall not be grown with long hair, of God of and his garments shall not be torn. What's considered long hair? Six months, a year, a decade. So he says, Shleshi named 30 days. Bin Kenozer like a Nozer. We learned earlier the laws of Nozer and the cutoff is 30 days. Somebody says, I'm a Nozer and does not define a term, it's 30 days. Gadil Pera Sa'aroshi shall grow the locks of his hair, of his head. The minimum term of a Nozer is 30 days. Lepiko, therefore, Kayin Hedjit, a regular Kohen. Ha'evid who serves, Megaleach Mishleshim Yem, Mishleshim Yem, must. Take a haircut, whether he needs it or not, every 30 days. Yud beis v'yanshe mishman asurim l'saper, or l'chabes b'shabaton. We learned this theme earlier under several settings. 
The people of the watch of that week, the Kohanim of the watch, may not take haircuts that week, and they may not wash their clothing that week. Why? Because we don't want them to postpone haircutting for that week, or to postpone laundering for that week, because they'll have more time. We want them to come prepared. They shouldn't enter their watch. When they're sullied, they should take a haircut and they should wash themselves on the chaps and wash their clothes before they ascend so that they come prepared. And that is why a decree was made that if at all possible, they should not take haircuts and wash their garments during that week. There's a similar law for Yom Tov that we don't want the Jew to spend his intermediate festival days in the barbershop and in the laundromat, and that's why we don't take haircuts or launder our clothes on the intermediate days of the festival. Now, speaking of festivals, Misha Shoma Mishmarta what if this week of being a Kohen ended in the intermediate days of the festival? He's going from prohibited time to prohibited time. In that case, we're going to allow him to cut his hair during the festival. But if his watch finished on the eve of the festival, let him cut his hair on the eve of the festival. The law of torn garments and long hair is one theme. Don't have your hair grow wild. Don't have your Garments torn, you shall not die. But if he did serve, and his garments are torn, there could be a heavenly death penalty involved. Even though his service does not become unfit, and he does not profane the service. Now that Ambam uses an expression when he uses, when the idea is his, it appears to me, that any Kohen kosher for service, if he entered into the altar area or further in, he's intoxicated, he's drunk with wine or intoxicated from any other intoxicating liquids like beer or alcohol, or tequila, or his hair is grown, or his garments are torn, like one would do for Kriya, for the dead, renting the garments for the dead. That's how his garments are torn, even though he didn't serve, but he just entered into a state of intoxication. He entered with long hair. He entered with rent garments. He could be liable for lashes. Being that he is fit for service. And he entered into a state, into the holy, in a state of unkemptness. And he's warned not to do so. The law of one enters into the altar area and further in, or one who emerges is the same. And if he drank at a vias, that measure of wine, between the antechamber, between the entrance area, and 
the altar, a of or he cut his garments there, and he went out. Just the going out, Leica makes him susceptible for lashes under certain circumstances. So also if he performs service, as he left Chayamisa, there could be a death penalty. And similarly speaking, he says in the closing paragraph of chapter 1, also the Chalodim, it is also forbidden, not only for a Kohen, but for every person, Ben Kayin, Ben Yisrael, whether a Kayin or an Israelite, reconnaissance to enter. Lemigdash Kulei, to the entire area of the Holy Temple, Mitchilas Ezras Yisrael, from the very beginning of the courtyard of the Israelites, Relifnim, and further in, Kishu Suiyayin, in a state of intoxication, a Shikr, whether it's wine or other alcoholic liquids, a Pruaresh, or with wild hair, Derech Nivel, in a manner of unkempt, a Krua Begadim with torn garments. Even though there has been no specific statement made in the Torah forbidding this. The Torah only forbids Kohanim. Because this is not a display of honor and awe to the holy house, the great and holy sacred house, that a person should enter in, into it in that state, in the state of being unkempt. However, if a Jew meaning an Israelite, a non-Kohen, grew his hair neatly in a ponytail, until it was formed into a weave. He went to his hairdresser. And it wasn't out of control, unkempt, but he just has long hair. For example, he could be a Nazir. There's no reason why an Israelite cannot enter into the Israeli Israelite courtyard area, as long as his hair is neat, even though it is long. End of chapter 1.